How's everyone doing this morning? Good. You know, when, uh, you know when I pray for our kneel down prayer, I often say things like, for those of you who are able to kneel, we invite you to. You know why I say that? Because there's some people that are, we think of people who are a little bit older, but I realize that I'm quickly becoming that person. I, uh, just yesterday, Marco, uh, one, of our, one of the people who's been coming to church here, him and I went on a bike ride yesterday, and I don't know what happened, but I tweaked my out, and I have been li- and bicycling, right? I didn't even fall. But um, I, I don't know, I tweaked my knee, and I can't stand straight. So I can bend it, I just can't stand straight. So if it's okay with you, um, I have to be on my feet all weekend, so I'm just going to sit. Is that okay? I feel like Mr. Rogers, you know? I, real- I realize I don't even have my sport coat on, okay? So um, that just means I was having a good time before, um, before service started, so... Let's just have a word of prayer and uh, let's jump into this. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we not only get to gather here, but we get to sing songs together, that we get to read your word together. And so my prayer now is as we look at the scriptures that you've prepared for us this morning, that you would give us fresh eyes to see and a fresh heart to understand the truth that you're speaking to us. Father, for those of us who have read these passages many, many times, we pray that you would give us new eyes to see. So we pray that the meditations of our heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to start off by reading something. How many of you have been aware of what's going on in our country the last couple of days? On Thursday night, I don't, I think, was it Thursday night or Wednesday night, the Dallas thing? Thursday night, yeah. You know, and it got me thinking, you know, what, I mean... You know, what are we supposed to say to this? This morning, it's supposed to be, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and what's funny is I've been giving Genevieve the same, like, <laughs> sermon information for, I feel like, three weeks because I get to it because of some of these other things that we preach. But I, I just started praying and I started thinking and I said, all right, God, well, well tell us how, what is our Christian response? What should it be? You know, it's interesting, you know, we talk about our country and, and the world we live in, and it's secular, and there is no God anywhere, and, and we see that, and, and so we say things like, well, things are so bad now because of that. But just remember, if we look at stories in the Bible, there are stories and stories of, of cultures where there was no God, except for the few people that were faithful. If we remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember, they were exiles. They were in a world where they didn't believe in God, and yet they remained faithful. So I would start by saying that this is no time for us to lose hope. This is no time for us to get negative. Instead, this is an opportunity for you and me as Christians to continue to recommit and be faithful to our relationship with God. I want to just begin by reading some of the thoughts that I had that night, and then we're going to get into a text. So here here were my thoughts as as I begin to pray and formulate what what we'll be learning today. I said, there seems to be a pandemic of hate in this country. Maybe it's always been there, or maybe we just see it more now because we have so much information at our fingertips through the 24-hour news channels, through social media, and news websites. Whether it's police killings or people being killed, regardless of who is doing the killing, there's a problem. I know there are people who would like to say that this is just a sign of the end time. 
the problem with saying that is that we're actually saying that God needs things to be bad in order for God to come back. And we know that God is not dependent on anything that happens on this earth. But this is not the case, and that's not what the Bible teaches us. What we are seeing is evil in its darkest form. What we are seeing is hate. And what's sad and unfortunate is that oftentimes it comes from the people who call themselves followers of Jesus. And as a pastor, I feel like I cannot and must not remain silent. And just a few weeks ago, I did a whole sermon after the Orlando shooting about how we are to live in love towards all people. And I don't imagine that I can use that same sermon again because that would be cheating. But you see, it is during this time that the passage of Jesus where he says, you are the light of the world, makes sense. This is the time when Jesus calls you to be the salt of the earth. We cannot let fear dictate the way the world is. And as Christians, we are called, you are called to be countercultural to the way the world is. See, we were never called to fit in and to just go with the trends. But as Christians, we are called to live in such a way that oftentimes is going to go against the way everything is going. Especially during this time and in this place, you are being called to lift the banner of Christ's love and Christ's light to a world in darkness. So what I'm not suggesting is that we just go online and start posting all these comments, right? Posting stuff on social media doesn't change anything. And you can do it if you want to, and we're not judging you. But what I am saying is that there has to be very real and tangible things that we can do. Just this morning with our elders, I, I mentioned the idea of maybe this week a group of the elders can go and just pray with the police department here in the city of Orange and let them know, you know what, we know that you're, your backs are up against the wall right now. And we just want to pray for them. But we also want to pray for the families of the victims that have been killed over the last several years. Because we realize that this is not the way God wants things to be. We realize that there is going to be a day when Jesus will return and Jesus will set everything to right and he will renew all things. But until then, we are called with a very special mission as followers of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, the Red Bible, I'm, we're not doing PowerPoint today because I just, I like getting into the Bible itself and I feel like when we do PowerPoint, it serves the purpose of having the same Bible translation, but it just feels, I don't know, not as genuine, I don't know. So if you have your Bible open to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to look at some very, very practical ways on how you and I as Christians must be um, are called to live, especially in this time of, of our lives where so many things seem to be in upheaval. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. So you see, the wickedness that we see going on, it's nothing new. In, in fact, the Bible here in, in, Gen, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, the wickedness has this connotation of bloodshed, all right? So, you know, we think, oh, things haven't been worse than this, but things have been worse than this in the past. I mean, six chapters into the story of Scripture, God says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. 
the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. God, I mean, according to the scriptures, it says that God was sad. He was grieved. Grieving is this deep sense of loss of perhaps of how things were supposed to be. So when we're living today, there's no need to lose hope. We would have to look at scripture to be reminded that we are just following in the pattern of things that have happened in the past. Verse seven, so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. You know, it's like we're living in the same time of Noah, it almost feels like. You see, God's not wiping any of us away, but what we find in the story of Scripture that it was so bad, can you, I can't even imagine how bad it was because we've been, some of you have been, al- I don't know if some of you have been alive through, I, don't, I think most of you are young, young enough, but <laughs> I mean, but, but we have witnessed in recent history almost an extinction of, an, of a group of people during the Holocaust. I mean, things have been bad, right? We're not there yet, but what we find here is that God says he was grieved, he was sad. It was almost, it's almost a connotation of God wished that he hadn't done it, all right? So we find ourselves in a very similar kind of uh, milieu, and then verse eight says this, and this is where it matters for you as followers of Jesus. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So society and culture was going down the drain and it was going fast. But in the midst of that wickedness and bloodshed, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. And verse 9 says this. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And this is the part that if you have your Bible, if you write in it, I would would underline it. It says, he walked with God. He was blameless, he was righteous, but all of that came because Noah walked with God. You see, as Christians living in 2016 in the United States, you are being called to walk with God. Now, of course, it's not, literal, it's not saying to literally physically take walks with God, although you could take a walk with God, I suppose, but it's about entering into an intentional relationship with God. We all know If you've ever been going through a difficult time in your life, if you have someone to rely on or someone to help you to lift the burden up, things become more bearable, doesn't it? And this is what what we find in the story of Noah is that God is inviting us. He is giving us the template for how to live in 2016 America. He is reminding us and inviting us that he is inviting you back into this relationship with him. You see, we're not called to fix everything. But we do become a part of the solution of things getting better by recommitting and being faithful to our relationship with God. You can't force someone else to do it, but all you have control over is whether you will do it for yourself. And you see, as Christians, one step in our journey of living in this world and in this time is for you to be like Noah and to walk with the Lord. That means prayer. That means Bible study, but not just rushing through it, but allowing the Holy Spirit to use the words of Scripture to shape your soul. You know, that's one of the things that we learned from our late um, head elder, Kurt Mountain. 
he was always memorizing scriptures because he said that it was those mem- the memory, the verses that he memorized is what God used on him daily to continue to shape and to grow him. You see, we have to give God, well, we don't have to give God something to work with, but it makes it easier for us when we have exposure to the words and the message that God has for us. And so when I say, we you know, we shouldn't be outraged, we shouldn't just be outraged that cops lost their lives, but we should be outraged that people across the board are losing their lives. You know, we, we've heard of this, this movement of education and awareness that black lives matter. And then after the police shooting, it's blue lives matter. But see, as Christians, we believe that all of life matters. We, we believe in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God created man and woman in God's image, which means that every single human life is valuable and we don't have the right to take a life. No one does. Only God has that right. Now, of course, there is a problem in our country that I don't even know how to begin to fix. But what I do know is that what we can do is to commit our lives to living faithfully as God is calling us to live. It means that how you act with the people at your job, how you act with the people you come in contact with and your family, that's what you have control over. We don't have control over things that are happening five states away, but we can control whether we choose to pray for their families and for those people. We can choose to make the city of Orange and pray for the city of Orange so that we won't repeat the same mistakes that some of these other people have. As Christians, we must not participate in the hatred and the violent language that people use on either side. You know, there's um, usually after uh, someone gets, you know, shot, Right. And the family says, well, no, they were good people. But then someone on the Internet finds like something bad that they did. And so they try to say, well, you know, at least now this person's off the streets, right? And I find that Christians try to find that justification to say, well, he wasn't a good person anyway. But neither are you, neither am I. According to scripture, we are all sinful people in need of God's grace and God's mercy. Maybe the sins that other people commit are different, but all of us are in the same boat. As Christians, and and, and it goes the same way for the other thing, right? As soon as the cops that, um, there was some of the cops that did some of this, they, they, then people post on the internet all of the bad things that they've done in the last seven years. And so all of a sudden, there's all of this blame going around. But as Christians, we cannot be a part of that violent rhetoric. As Christians, we must be those who are in solidarity with families. See, the question is, is what would Jesus, how would he live? How would he react And I think that the answer to that is that Jesus on the cross is the perfect representation of how you and I should live. See, Jesus on the cross isn't just about forgiving your sins. I mean, it is. But Jesus on the cross is saying that God will not abandon us in our brokenness. Jesus could have got off that cross at any moment, but Jesus remains on the cross until death because he could not allow his people those whom he gave life to, to be separated from him for all eternity. And so let's keep going for a few more, a few more minutes. Let's continue to look at how we must live during this time and in this place. So if you have your Bible there, just turn to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. 
I'll give you a couple seconds. Book of Ephesians chapter 5. I'll start reading when I hear the papers start. <laughs> I love it. Don't you love that sound of Bibles bristling in the wind? I mean, I do think we need to change our translation at some point, but. All right, ready? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And my, the Bible translation I use when I prepared it, said, it begins with, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So when, whenever you are reading in the Bible and a sentence begins with, Therefore, what, you, what should instantly go off in your mind is, let me read the chapter beforehand or the chapters beforehand. Because the word therefore means, okay, so we've said all this, therefore you must now live in such and such a way. So here's what's important. Be imitators of God and as beloved children and live in love. So that's the bookend. So what I want us to do is just go back one, one chapter and look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, so we can kind of understand what it means to be an imitator of God. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I, Paul, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Another translation says, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, as pastors, we often say things um, or people will often ask us, well, how did you feel your call into ministry? What is it that called you into ministry? Because we often think that as pastors, we receive the special calling on our lives. And, and I think that that is true to a certain extent. But every single person who is a believer in Jesus is also called into ministry. It may not be the ministry of being a pastor, but you're called into living a life here that it says worthy of the what? the calling. You see, your very life, your very sphere of influence, whether it's your job, your family, your children, your church, your friends, whatever it is, where you go to eat, right? The people that are around you, you are being called to live in such a way that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you are to be a light to all those who are around you. You see, calling is not just reserved for those of us who are in full-time ministry, but you are being called to live your life in a way that gives honor and glory to God. It doesn't say if everyone around you is holy, then you be holy. It doesn't say if, the, if your country you live in is a good Christian nation, then be holy. See, God's not concerned with the countries that we live. I mean, he's concerned for everything, but, but he, he's not worried about the country. What he's worried about is the people within the country. And so we don't, need to, we don't need to wait for our country to be this Christian nation because we are Christian and we live within this nation and your calling comes for you to live your life that is worthy of the calling. Now, if you are being called by the God who created all things, the God who loves and blesses and forgives us and is generous with us, then to live a life worthy of that calling is to live your life in such a way that reflects the very character of God. You see, you can't do that for other people. You can't force your children to live this life of this calling. 
You can only do it for yourself. And so here he gives us some very practical advice as to how to do that. Verse 2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Is humility easy? For some, for some people, it's very easy. But it says, be humble and gentle. Is it easy to be gentle with people after you've worked eight hours and they ask you to stay a couple hours extra and you're tired and your feet hurt and your legs hurt and you just want to go home and you're hungry? Is it easy to be gentle with people at church all the time? We see living in 2016, what we are called to do is to be humble. Humble means that you don't put yourself before other people, but that you put other people before yourself. Humble is seeking to understand what the other person is saying instead of just trying for them to understand you. Humble is how good relationships stay good. Humble and gentle is how marriages last for years and years. Because when you're putting the other person before your own wants and your own needs, you're setting the tone for how they will then begin to treat you. But it's not just about marriages and relationships. It's about every single interaction that you have. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this is for our church as well, for every church. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all, and he is through all, and God is in all. You see, as Christians, we are called to be light, and we, and we are light, and we reflect the light of Jesus when we act humbly and gently, when we are patient, and when we help each other when we are burdened. And then if we skip down to, to verse 14, because in between there's like some theological stuff that oh, gets kind of confusing. <laughs> verse 14 says this, then we will no longer, or it says we must no longer be like children or infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, kind of gives me, that kind of paints to me a picture of like politics. <laughs> Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. You see, when all things, you know, we, we look at our country and things are going back and forth and, it, and it's a presidential election year. So both sides are telling how the other person is wrong and bad and lying and they're both right and they're both wrong. You know, there's all that, you know, the tossing between back and forth. But the way to find an anchor in the, in the tumultuous waves of our society is to, what does the Bible say? To build ourselves up in Christ. Grow up into him, Christ, who is the head. You see, we don't have to worry about all of those other things. All we have to worry about is anchoring our soul and our faith in the head of the church, which is Christ. Verse 15, instead, no, 16. 
from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, there's a lot of work for us as Christians in this world. And it is a continual basis of coming together in love and in unity as one body. You know, and, and when you get to heaven, that's, that's all you're going to get is just a bunch of different people. And I think part of our character growth is to learn to get along with people that aren't so easy to get along with. That's part of what the church is for. You know, people always say, well, the church, I don't like to go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. It's like, yeah, they're everywhere, though. You know, we're, none of us is perfect. But this is where we get to begin to work to learn forgiveness, to learn generosity, to learn kindness, to learn patience. So if we jump down to verse 22, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So basically your old life, he's talking about the life before you had a relationship with Jesus. Verse 23, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. There's another translation that says, um, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with a new self created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. These are some of the same words that we find in Noah. Righteous, blameless, and the way that we get to experience that is by having that close relationship with God. And so we renew our minds by reading scripture and by prayer. We renew our minds by talking about it. We renew our minds by coming together with people who believe the same way and continue to challenge each other to be even more faithful to God. You are renewing your mind by sitting here listening to me preach, not because I am this intellectual powerhouse, but because we are using the scriptures to teach us about the deeper things of life. Verse 25, I'm just, you know what? I'm going to read from this, from my notes, because that's what I memorized better. So then putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Now listen to this, more practical advice. Verse 26, be angry, but do not sin. So can you be angry? Can you get mad at people when they cut you off on the freeway? Are you allowed to get a little bit mad at your wife or husband? I mean, you can, I think, I don't know. I mean, technically, you can be a little bit angry. <laughs> but what does it say? But do not sin. So it's okay to be hurt. You know, anger is actually just a symptom of the deeper, uh, something deeper, which is when people are angry, they're actually just hurting. They've been hurt or they're in pain. So it says be angry, but don't sin. You can be angry about the things that are happening. But what you do with that anger is either going to be sinful or it's going to give honor and glory to God. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. I think, you know, I think people who have been married a long time probably have learned that, that you don't want to go to bed angry. Verse 27, and do not make room for the devil. You see, there is a sense of, of things that we can do. And what Paul is telling us is safeguard yourself from the things that are going to lead you to destructive habits and to sinful behaviors. He is saying, if you know that you have a problem with this thing or that thing, then don't go there. Um, you know, one of the things that they tell, um, and I told you I was in a group. Um, I went to support a friend who was in a group 
an addictions group and they had a family night. And so I was one of the people that got to go and kind of be supportive and listen. And one of the things, if you're addicted to a substance is don't go where it is, right? If you're addicted to something, don't go where it's readily available. I mean, that's easy for us to say if we're not addicted to something, but make safeguards, right? If you have addictions, Stay away from the, and get, a, and get other help, but stay away from the places where you know you're going to be dragged down to. So he's saying, don't make any room for the devil. Do the very best you can to not be taken down those roads. Verse 28, here's some more practical advice. Thieves must give up stealing. Now, maybe none of us are thieves, but look at the advice he gives. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Right? So do something with your time that will help and benefit others. Verse 29, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And if you are on, on online, if you look at comments that people make on news stories or, or even just sometimes the people on my news feed that I know are Christians who go to church every weekend, sometimes some of the things that they say, it's just like, how is that helping anyone? Now, have I had thoughts? Of course, but I, I know better than to post them for everyone to see. <laughs> but he says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Be humble, be gentle. Be generous, be patient. Verse 30, so he's saying, don't do any of this and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. So you see, what's interesting about this is even though you have been marked with the seal, you have given your life to Christ and Jesus has given you the assurance of salvation. But even though you have that assurance, we are still tempted to fall back into the ways that we were before we had that relationship with Christ. Put away from you all the bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, the reason that as Christians we are called to live by a standard higher than what the world requires is because we have more to be thankful for. The reason that we do and love and live in such a way is because the Bible tells us here that because just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We do this out of the motivation of thanksgiving and being grateful for the blessing of forgiveness. We live this way in this time because God has forgiven us. Jesus gives the parable, if there's two people, and one, I don't remember the number, but if one person owes $1,000 and another person owes $100, and their creditor forgives both of them, who's gonna, who, which one of the two debtors is going to be more thankful? The one who owed more money and his debt was canceled. You see, our debts have been canceled. That is the gospel. The reason that Jesus lays down his life is to forgive you of your sins because Jesus knows that you cannot save yourself. Now, Jesus removes that 
right? That's a heavy burden to be perfect. But Jesus removes that need for you to be perfect because he lays down his life. But now that he has freed you from that, it's not just so you can do whatever you want, but it's so that as a result of being freed from that sin and the consequence of that sin, you can now go and be God's witness everywhere you go. See, that is the life worthy of the calling that has been placed on you to lift up Jesus everywhere you go, to bring the good news of the gospel that there is a God who not only has not forgotten us, has not forsaken us, but a God who cares about every detail of your life. And God wants to give you redemption. You see, in 2016, if we, if we focus all of our time on all the things that are going bad, we're going to take our eyes off of Jesus who makes all things right. If we focus on all of the negative things, we're not going to be able to see all the good things that God is doing. You see, God doesn't need us to fix this world. God needs us to be like Noah, to walk with God so that we can then be God's messengers. That is all this language about being the body of Christ is because we are to be a church that is on the mission to reflect the glory of God. So instead of getting down, Instead of getting angry about the things that are happening, I mean, we can be angry about the things that are going on. But instead of allowing those things to darken our lives, if we anchor our soul, it says the anchor of our faith is God, then we will be able to get through this. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into the fire and were not burned. And so in 2016, that is our call, to be like the faithful people of Scripture who have walked with God and clung to God and God will take care of the rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are almighty, all-knowing, and infinite. God, we pray that we would not allow ourselves to go down the way of anger and animosity and violent language, but we pray that we would learn to be a light. Now, we can't be a light in Dallas or Orlando, but teach us how to be a light in the city of Orange where you have called us to be. Give us the courage that we need to step beyond our comfort zone. Give us the courage and the wisdom to know better ways to reach this city with your love and with your mercy so that more people would come to know you and more people would get to spend eternity with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.